0: we were talking about uh, what's your favorite book and I said I think Ecclesiastes and he said oh man that's so depressing (laughs) and I said
1: Back to another episode of Meet the Ministers. I'm your host Kevin McDonald, joined always by Alec
2: Robinson. Hey, good morning. How are you? Doing well yourself? I'm uh, doing great. Uh, like I said, uh, it's been very chilly uh, lately. It's winter in Colorado, so uh, shoveling snow and dealing with the cold weather. But uh, that's why we live here, right? Any more uh, beard icicles to scare your kids with? <laughs> <laughs> not, not so far. Yeah, uh, that was that was a funny. That was a good day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we are so very excited to introduce Mr. Wilkie Brian Wilkie was baptized in 1994 in Springfield, Tennessee. Brian entered into ministry in 1998 as a deacon at Bear Valley. Mr. Wilkie stepped up to be an elder in 2007. Brian has served as an elder for seven years. Brian did mission work in Africa and the Ukraine. Thank you, Mr. Wilkie, for joining us today. We really appreciate the fact you took our call and decided to give us some of your time. This is really exciting.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you. Let's just hop right in. How were you brought up? Well, I was uh, a raised Catholic uh, in Salt Lake City, of all places, so that was interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, like a, a lot of people, you know, we uh, observed the major holidays, but weren't really devout, I guess you would say. And so we, uh, um, you know, so I had a familiarity with, you know, with Christianity, with, with God, with Christ. And... And uh, then we uh, moved here to Colorado, and I always, you know, always kind of wondered about things like, you know, those folks do. And I remember my mom telling me years later, and like, she says, well, you always wanted to be religious. And I said, no, I just always wanted answers. You know, I always, always was curious. And so um, probably when I was around 15, 16 years old, I met some folks that, uh, uh, a couple of guys that uh, were going to a Baptist church. And so I uh, started attending with them, and I got baptized into the Baptist Church. At that time, I think, I believed I was getting baptized into the church, is what I, as I understood it at that time. And, uh, you know, as a lot of uh, young folks, uh, you know, just kind of fell away from that after a year or so. And, and then, uh, again, when I was in the Navy, which was in the early 80s, I uh, ran into some folks on the ship that were conducting a Bible study, and it kind of rekindled my interest. But I just kind of bounced along, you know, from a, uh, maybe a, a stronger interest to, a, you know, a waning uh, in, uh, interest in uh, in God, and 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 so I, at that time, I'm I'm pretty sure I would have classified myself as an agnostic. And uh, I never did get to the point of believing there's no God because I can't how, figure out how you can explain everything being here without something. You know, I just can't see how you do it. So then um, I met Deanne, my wife, um, and we got married in uh, 1985, and she was raised in the Church of Christ, and, and so uh, um, and she was not really attending much. When we had kids, she started going to, back to church, and for the first 10 years of our marriage, I, I didn't attend. I was not opposed to it. I would attend functions. And occasionally go to services, but I kind of had that attitude toward it. Again, not, not a hostile attitude, just a very lackadaisical, I guess, uh, somewhat disinterested attitude, and, uh, and just different things would happen that would cause me to go back and reflect on, you know, my role uh, in life as a, as a husband, father, as a guy, you know, and, and uh, I used to go down there to uh, the Tennessee every year, my wife's from Tennessee, and um. For most of our marriage, we would go down there at Christmas time, spend time with her family, and her brother would uh, talk to me about the gospel and, and uh, Bible study with me. And So one year, we uh, were talking about it, and he says, so what do you think of these things? I said, well, you know, I'm, i got to go home and study more and, and pray on it. And he says, yeah, you say that every year. And I said, well, yeah, I guess you're right, I do. <laughs> and so uh, I remember, I, and this always stood out to me, uh, after talking about this, I said, okay, I said, I, I could see what the, the plan is. I see, you know, and I don't really uh, doubt the, you know, that scripture could be from God. I said, but where's the evidence to support your faith? And I'll never forget it. He said, The evidence is all around you. It's just whether or not you choose to see it. And it occurred to me, I'd been there my whole life going, Why this? Why that? The evidence is all around you. Man, it just hit me like a two by four, you know. And and uh that evening we went down and unlocked the church building, it was like midnight. And I went in and, and got baptized. And uh, I remember, it's the same feeling I had after on my wedding night. It's like, what did you just do? You know? <laughs> and uh, fortunately, I had a lot of support and a lot of encouragement. And I really did believe that uh, within the churches of Christ, there was a, a sincere desire to discern God's will for us as written in Scripture and to not go against what the scripture teaches in pursuing the knowledge of God's will and the application of his will. And so um, from there, I uh, started attending at the Arvada uh, Church of Christ. Uh, Might have been where we uh, first uh, run across each other when you were real small, or maybe it was shortly thereafter. I believe so, yeah. It could have been, yeah. And so um, we ended up uh, going to uh, to the Bear Valley Congregation, probably in uh, about 98, I guess it was. I became a deacon shortly thereafter. I was mentioned to you guys earlier about when we first uh, placed membership at Bear Valley, one of the elders, who was just a wonderful guy, when he came up and he says, well, we're really glad to have you. We can't wait to put you to work. And I remember thinking, work? I'm just here to go to church. I'm not here to work. So I had a lot to learn. And uh, thankfully, it was, a, it was a, good, a good education, a lot of wonderful people, and really was a big encouragement.
1: Yep. So we have a lot to unpack here. So, you grew up, would you say your home state was Salt Lake?
0: Well, I was born in California, but spent most of my early childhood in Utah.
1: In Utah. What would you say is one of your fondest memories from growing up in Salt Lake?
0: Wow, just actually just being a kid, you know, and and doing all the things we used to do, uh, you know, playing stickball, which we actually did play stickball because we couldn't afford a bat, you know, (laughs) or getting on our best uh, church shoes so we could slide on the ice and played uh, street hockey with brooms and stuff, and. Just that kind of stuff was fun. I remember uh, when they got their first ABA team, and uh, so that was big time basketball. And we used to get into that. So just just that kind of stuff, really. Just playing sports. Sports was the biggest thing, for, yep. and your buddies, you know, just doing kid stuff.
1: Yeah. And you said you came to Colorado. How old were you when you came to Colorado?
0: I was about twelve years old. 12 my years old. Uh, my mom. Uh, which I was raised in a single parent uh, household, and my mom. Uh, they were closing down the, where they, she was working in Salt Lake. She was a government job and opened up here. And so we moved here and, uh, yeah, that would have been in 71.
1: What motivated you to join the Navy?
0: I was, you know, this is before your time, but I was pumping gas at a gas station about third night in a row. And I'm just sitting there thinking, this is about as far as prospects as you got right now. (laughs) And I had a buddy of mine that, uh, had been talking about joining the Navy so there was a thing at the time called the buddy program if you went in together you would be guaranteed to go through boot camp and your your school together and that was great except that uh, we were going into electronics and they found out that he was colorblind he never ended up going in and i thought well i'm this far along let's go ahead and go you know so that's how i got into the navy and uh
2: He's cut the red wire, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it was uh back in those days, I don't know how much color matters now, but when they had transistors, I guess it mattered a whole lot. And he said, "Look, if I can't do this, I don't want to go." I didn't blame him, but my options were down to about one, so I uh, I went ahead and went, and it was a good experience. Got to go to course in california they had a boot camp in san diego at that time which was great because now you got to go and freeze you know, oh, and yeah. Great lakes i know yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> much better in san diego i thought and they went to sonar school out there and then i spent most of my uh, uh enlistment in dry dock in new york city and that was a lot of fun and nice. i just because you got to see the city and do all that so i had a good time
1: did you ever deploy
0: no never did oh, wow. no they uh, my ship was uh, based out of virginia and it was had just gotten into dry dock, and I pull up to the ship, and there it is sitting on blocks and uh, starting to cut holes in and everything. And it was in dry dock for a long time. So,
1: and you said you're an electrician?
0: Uh, no, I was a sonar tech. Sonar tech, okay. Yeah, something you can't use anywhere else. But uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, it was like playing video games back before video games. You know, what I mean, back yeah. when there were very few video games.
1: What's a a story from the navy? I know you have a story from the navy.
0: Uh, well, let me think. And, you know, just a few things that that stick out. I remember going to, uh, when we got to New York, we didn't, this guy that were in Virginia, we, you know, we went to our ship and they said, well, you got to go up to New York. So we got on a plane, went up there together and we didn't see anything about taxi cabs. We kept seeing these signs, limousines, and we didn't know anything. We young guys who thought, well, maybe that's what they call a cab here. So we decide we need to get to our ship. So we decide that, okay, we'll just get one of these cabs. We get this limousine. Sure enough, it's a limousine. And we're not thinking anything about it until we pulled up to our ship. And everybody's going, who's pulling up in a limousine? There was these couple of knuckleheads just fresh out of school. I don't think we ever lived that down. <laughs>
1: were you in your whites or blues? Uh,
0: yeah, we were. Yeah, yeah we were our whites. Yeah, just a, a couple of dinglings but It was. It was pretty funny. Uh, the the ship in dry dock is a really cool experience too because I mean you're in and out of you get to see how everything works and uh and so I really enjoy that and getting to see New York City, you know, uh, the World Trade Center. I always think about in uh in Brooklyn right across the East River was lower Manhattan, if I got my geography right. And and the World Trade Center was like this looming presence. I mean, you think of the mountains here, it was that only bigger. The day we got into New York, we drove all the way there. You didn't see the top of those towers or the top of the Empire State Building because they just had low cloud cover that day. Always impressed me, and I I was thinking about after 9-11, what that must have been like to have had this, this presence for, what, 20 years or whatever it was, 25 years? To just all of a sudden be gone, you know, was uh, must have been really kind of kind of difficult. I would think, but I got to see that. I got to see all the sights, you know. Sailors in New York, man, we we saw everything. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. That's really cool. Yeah.
1: So from there, you said you came back to Colorado.
0: Uh, yes, came back to Colorado and uh, decided to embark on a series of uh, high profile jobs. I was a trash man for a while and. uh <laughs> And then when I was in the Navy, when I'd come home sometimes, I would be uh, kind of short on funds. And a friend of mine's brother was in the rotor rooter uh, business, worked for a company. He says, hey, man, if you, you help me out, I'll give you a few bucks, you know, for each job. So it was great, work a day, make enough money to go for a few days. And so I learned a little bit about how to do, how to clean drains. So after deciding I wasn't going to be a trash man anymore, I uh, got on decided to be a sewer man. And so, moving uh, yeah, moving yeah. up or, da- or down, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. So, uh, <laughs> And from there, that led me into another opportunity to become an apprentice plumber, and of getting my plumber's license in the, and then my master's license in the mid '80s, and became self-employed. And here we are.
2: Here nice. we are. Nice. Yeah. And now
1: you run a, a very big operation.
0: About sixty people. I don't know oh. if it's real big comparatively, but yeah, it's big for us. It's yeah.
1: bigger than you started.
0: And much bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and, much bigger. Yeah. and hopefully growing. Yeah. Still yeah. seems nice. to be growing. Nice, so yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So, where did you meet your wife?
0: That's, uh, okay, so when uh, I went to work for that drain cleaning company uh, that had, uh, could get me my plumbing, apprentice or my plumbing license, I, uh, Deanne was visiting, it was her uh, sister and brother-in-law that owned the company. I worked for and I walked into, uh, the office one day, and she's there, and we just got to talk. and I said, and she said she was in town visiting from Ohio, and, uh, asked her had she gotten to see anything she said no we don't really have anything planned so I took her to Elitch's you know that was back in the day old Elitch's you know West Denver and uh just really had a good time and we kind of kept in touch and eventually she moved back out here and uh dated for a couple years and then ended up getting married
1: how old were you when you got married
0: I was 25 she was 20 and uh yeah it was uh, uh it was it was it was good I uh we had our wedding planned, and I uh, chickened out. Uh, <laughs> I remember I was talking to my brother one night, and he says, you know, dude, he says, you're an idiot. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he says, this is the best girl you've ever known that I've known. And I said, well, yeah, no doubt. And he says, and you're going to horse around, and she's going to go, and you're going to regret it. And I said, all right, all right, yeah. hang up the phone. I called up to you. I said, man, if you want to get married, it's right now. This is all the nerve I got. <laughs> and God bless her. She said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I just think about what a coward I was at the time. And of course, if you know knew then what you know now, it'd yeah. be a lot different. But uh, I have always, it always touches my heart when I think she was willing to do that, you know, and uh, it's made a big difference to me. And she's been that kind of person our whole life. It's just been wonderful. So. The biggest blessing, I think.
1: Well, that's what brought you to the truth.
0: Absolutely, Uh, with her, um, she was, uh, and just as it speaks about in in scripture, you know, the way that she tried to live her life as a Christian, I, I, you know, I got to see that, and and uh, and eventually by noticing that, and then with her brother, and and, you know, talking to folks in the church, it kind of led me to where I, you know, I knew I needed to be, and probably just resisted for so long. So yeah, she's uh, not only. Been great in this life, but uh, big hand in eternal life for me, too, so tr- a tremendous yep. blessing.
1: So we already talked about how her brother was a, kind of the one that hit you with the two-by-four, yeah, so to speak.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he really did. Maybe he did. He's a sharp <laughs> guy. Yeah.
0: He's a really nice guy.
1: What would you say was the, the catalyst that actually convicted you to put Christ on in baptism?
0: Well, I kind of knew, you know, from studying what the plan of salvation was, and I knew... Um, I don't know how to say this. Um, In growing up in the Catholic Church, I had seen some things that I could not reconcile with what I had seen in the Bible because I had picked up the Bible and read through parts of it at time to time. And a lot of the things I saw in there didn't really line up, at least from my uh, perspective. And everything I'd seen in the Lord's Church is a really, a lot of imperfections because we're human beings, but people really trying to, as their basic premise do God's will as God expressed it and that, that made sense, sense you know I always felt like if this is the God you're going to believe in you probably ought to do what he wants you to do you know makes sense so that I already kind of had that mindset but was resistant and when I would tell uh, my brother-in-law that I intended to go home and study it I was sincere but you know how that works you get home you get busy you forget and that's you know and he said that the last time you always say that so we kind of Got me to uh, at least a verbal decision point to whether I was going to reject it or accept it, and that's when I asked him about what supports your faith, and he kind of made the statement of the obvious: you know, it's all around you. It's like, oh yeah, you're right, it is all around me. Yeah, yeah. and that was it. We and went down, got baptized. Nice.
2: Yeah. Well, I was going to say you—you had uh, uh, said you know, growing up and all these things, you always would question. You'd always say, well, there's got to be an answer. There's got to be something more than than this, uh, and and it's that uh, from from Romans where you know, Paul says his invisible attributes are uh, obvious. You are without excuse uh, yes. uh, for for having that understanding, yes. and you are just looking. You were a, a, an actual truth seeker, and you just needed to be presented with the truth that jived with what Scripture said. I mean, you, you understood the Scripture. You looked at it and said, "Well, this religion over here, uh, Catholicism or whatever it is, it doesn't it doesn't match. There's something right. that's not quite jiving." And so you you made that. Uh, realization and you needed the help of uh you know your, your brother-in-law at the time you yep. know to to kind of say all right I, pre- I presented it to you and then it, now it's up to it's up to you uh, to yeah. make that decision
0: yeah and you know i i always really try to to be very careful on saying this is god's will or that's god's will because unless it's in scripture you know it's who's it for me to say but the way things lined up kind of made it felt like you know, God had his number, God, God had my number, you know, which I'm so thankful he did. But yeah, I had always wondered, you know, it's like, you know, you talk about big bang. Okay. What, what put it here to go bang, you know? And then you talk about, you start doing math on numbers and everything. You go, wait a minute, some of this doesn't work, you know? So I will I, I'll be honest. Even when I was in uh, high school and they were teaching evolution, I wasn't a firebrand about it, but I said, man, this stuff just doesn't make sense. You know, and uh, and the universe aged billions of years from the time I was 18 till now. Did you know that from what they were teaching back then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Amazing. It's space time or something. I don't know how We're all worked. time travelers. That's yeah. it. You know, so there's a lot of reason for skepticism, and I think I'm a natural skeptic. But, uh, you know, and the scripture scripture uh, says that uh, God rewards those who diligently seek him. And the more you seek him, the more he kind of, the more your faith almost becomes a, you know, I mean, you know, as I mentioned to somebody years ago, how can you not know what you know? You have to actively choose to not know what you know. And God reveals himself through scripture, through just life, you know, and, and how you improve, how other people, you know, you get get better at interacting and hopefully better at, uh, you know, spreading the gospel through your actions and your words. And, and uh, you know, that's... Yeah, it's just it's fascinating to to see how God confirms Himself over and over and over again. It's just if you're looking for it, like you said, if you're looking for it.
2: Yep. And yep. and we serve a God who wants not not to question Him, you know, in like a sense of uh, what are you doing, God? But as a, a, like questioning Him because he can he can handle the questions. Yeah. He wants you to seek Him and be diligently questioning. What about this, God? What about this? What about I have a question about this and go to the scriptures and seek the answers. Cause God's like, I've got the answers and to your questions. I want you to question me because I've got the answers. And yeah. that's, that's that mentality of we don't just have this blind faith. I, I hate that phrase blind faith because believing in something with, with no, with no evidence, no, uh, no questioning, no, just blindly following something. Well, what is that? Well, that's, that's not the that's not the scriptures that I'm reading. I, I read scripture with with evidence and with witnesses and eyewitness accounts and and answers to the questions that I have. And this is why my faith is, um, I, I I serve the God that I do not because well, that's just what we've always done. Right. It's 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 a true uh, commitment of your life for sure.
0: Yeah, it is. And you know, you think about all the things that we actually have faith in. That you know, we have faith that uh, you know. The world is round. Okay, so we can confirm some of these. I mean, there's faith in a lot of things that, that we believe are going to happen. We don't think that we got to question that at all. I don't have any problem with question God because, Alex, as you said, I, I think God wants us to question him. If we know God, we want to do it with reverence, but we still want to ask those questions. And, yes, in Scripture there's uh, several examples of people that express their pain and frustration to God. You don't do it disrespectfully but you do it at the same time. Uh, God knows your heart. You always think about praying to God, well I'm not going to tell him this. Like what? You know.
1: <laughs> you, already <did. laughs> you already did. You already did. He knew it
0: before you thought, you know, and so yeah. that kind of stuff. You know, God knows God knows our hearts. And and it's again, I I really believe that it, it scripture says without faith it's impossible to please him and I think you have to have that faith. But I think he rewards your faith. And I think he rewards those who seek him, you know. And to seek a better knowledge of him, better relationship, you get rewarded. And I see it all around, You know, not just in my life, but in the lives of so many other Christians.
1: Yeah. Going back to your story, so you were already married when you got baptized. How long had you been married for?
0: About 10 years.
1: About 10 years. Did you have any children?
0: Yeah. All my kids were born by the time I was baptized, all four of them. Yep. So Rachel was about 10 years old.
1: About 10 years old. hmm And then you were living in Colorado. Yeah. Yep, and you were already working as a plumber. Mm-hmm where were you attending at that time?
0: Uh, when I first got baptized, my wife is was attending at the Arvada yeah, Church. Christ. And so we were there for a little over a year. And then we decided that uh, we, uh, we'd heard about some other congregations that we thought we might visit. I'd had some questions about some things. And, uh, you know, when we went to Bear Valley, it was a period in which they were having uh, different people every week for different reasons uh, coming up and preaching. Of course, these were guys from the, the, the preaching school, a lot of them, and so boy, you were getting so much scripture, you know, and and not at all the fault any of the, the preachers or any of the congregations I've been at, but you were getting people's different perspectives and really, you know, deep stuff. I used to talk about, uh, you know, my my wife's father uh, was a preacher and uh, kind of a tent maker. I mean, he had a full time preaching job and a full time government job. But what really intrigued me about him is he could preach and if you were inclined to think deep it was in there for you and if you weren't inclined to think deep there was still a good mesh- message in there for you and I always thought that was incredible talent that he you know I didn't know much at first I was kind of ignorant of things his message still resonated with me and as I got more and more into the scriptures like oh yeah that makes sense I see that I just was really impressed by that and so when we saw that the preacher in there got to know some of the students we Place membership there, and, yeah, spent uh, about 15 years there and really enjoyed the time and felt like we got to contribute in in meaningful ways.
1: Yeah, that's where uh, Jack and I went to the Future Preachers training camp. I remember that. This is a story that had you involved in it. There was no place for us to stay that first year. So you went down and put a couple showers in the boiler room. (laughs) Yeah, 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 (laughs) Yeah. that's right. And I remember that because it was funny. We were always, all the boys, and there was like, no privacy. He's like yeah, just go take a shower, take turns.
0: Yeah, they didn't have a whole lot of control over the privacy issue. I think they, I think they did address that uh, in, in uh, subsequent years. Pretty but
1: sure I, they remade everything. Like I think they redid all of it. I'm pretty sure. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I know yeah. there was uh, changes made uh, back when when we were there. And so, uh, uh, I imagine that's continued. Yeah.
1: I just remember Jack talking about how, yeah, my dad put these in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so while you're standing there with no privacy, you can, can <laughs> put these in here, yeah. <laughs> but it was just funny. Cause it was in a boiler room. Cause it was like a last minute thing. Like, Oh, Hey, we need showers for, you know, 25 stinky boys that are going to yeah. be there for a week.
0: <laughs> yeah. They got a hold of me and said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, you guys need a plumber, yeah. you know, and then, Well, I'm a plumber. (laughs) Were you a
1: deacon at that time?
0: I think I was, yeah. Yeah.
1: So what convicted you to be a deacon?
0: Uh, I I felt like, kind of similar to to being an elder, but I felt like uh, if I was asked to do something that I was capable of and qualified to do, I should do it. Although I will say, the first time I got asked to be an elder, I, I declined. And it was several years later that I got asked again. And I felt like I was, you know, in a better position to do that. But, uh, yeah, I feel like if, uh, you know, you can contribute, I, you know, I, I either got to come up with a real good excuse why I can't or I should contribute. And it's easier to contribute than to come up with a good excuse. <laughs> yeah, you know, so. No, I'm kidding. It was, it was you want every, you know, I see that in the church a lot where I'd see people get discouraged is where they didn't have the opportunity to, to contribute, to help and sometimes you know and I know when I first came to Bear Valley as I mentioned we uh and, and you mentioned put you to work my mindset was different but it didn't take too long to realize no this is this is this is what god wants you to do and it's fulfilling when jesus said it's better to give than to receive it's better for your soul i mean when you contribute when you can give and so uh you know i kind of appreciate the opportunity to serve as as a deacon and had i not been a deacon i would have hoped that i would serve you know regardless in the same yeah same way mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so. I believe you would have. What caused you to turn down the eldership the first time?
0: I um, well, a couple of things. My business uh, commitments. you know, My business was growing, and um, I didn't. Um, I didn't feel comfortable with uh, being a um, an elder if all my kids weren't baptized. And while my youngest son got baptized I think at nine, uh, you know, you know, Joe. Yep. I mean, I think it stuck. And so, uh, you know, we uh, at that (laughs) time I felt, (laughs) yeah, just a little bit. And so I uh, uh, felt more comfortable making the commitment that and and talking to my family. And and at that time, I did kind of put the the growth of my company on, you know, on hold sort of for a few years. Had a wonderful brother in Christ that uh, uh, I still worship with that uh, was working with me at that time and really made that possible for me. And, uh, and so during that time, that five years at Bear Valley, we were kind of, I would say tread water because the business was profitable and making a good living, but we didn't really, you know, we kind of tried to balance our time and attention between that and, and the eldership. I think the eldership, you know, is, is good, especially if you can devote more time to it. If you can't devote much time to it, it's something to consider, you know, how effective you might be in that role. You know? So that's just my opinion.
1: Who who would you say was the the mentor for you? Was there like a mentor ship that someone pulled you in and like kind of got you ready for those leadership roles?
0: Um, no. There's a, a few people that uh, I, encouraged me, and and we're just it's like the timing they were there when at the right time, you know, when you needed them. There was a, a preacher at Arvada by the name of Dean Bryce, and uh, a really a nice guy. Uh, really, uh, I thought a good preacher, and, and just. Took an interest in me and really kind of helped me as a young Christian understand a few things and, you know, what to, you know, how to kind of navigate your way as a new Christian, which sometimes I think is lost. We baptize guys and maybe we don't follow up. They get them, you know, introduced to the church and and, and everything as we should. And so uh, I think that was really helpful. Um, There's a a fellow named Jakey Gibbs that, uh, you know, Jakey, of course, I've always admired his example, you know, a guy that just persevered in doing what uh what he believed the scripture was teaching and i you know tend to agree with him on many things and and uh the elders i served with you know sometimes we would butt heads and have our differences but i really i really appreciated those guys and then i don't know if you remember a fellow by the name of david ramsey and uh, he had been an elder at bear valley and uh, very uh very knowledgeable in the scriptures and just a really interesting guy almost uh, if i could use the word eccentric sort of but in a good way. And he always caused me to think. But the thing that was interesting about him is whenever it seemed like, probably wasn't every time, I'm sure, but it seemed like whenever I'd get discouraged, he would just have the right word to say. I don't know if he could read it on me or whatever. You know, you try not to show that you're, you know, wrestling with something. And I can't tell you how many times he just lifted me up. And uh, just by a few words or something like that, I... Almost getting a little weirded out by it. it's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, touched by an angel, at, you know, not yet, but, but uh, and so I and I admired him because he thought so differently about things, you know, and it really was just wide open, it wasn't a narrow focus of let's trod the path, and we're it's like, man, let's 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 talk, let's let's look at everything, and and still came right back down to solid in the word, you know, and so that really uh, mattered a lot to me. Truthfully, my wife's example has always meant a lot to me, you know. and. I think we're blessed when we have a wife that uh, causes us to want to live up to the example they set, you know. And, and so I've had that my kids, you know, uh, we used to joke about it, but it felt like God gave us these kids, it was our job not to mess them up, you know. And so we try not to mess them up and you know, my my kids are, uh, are faithful and working, you know, in, in 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 different ministries and and so uh it, it's I, I feel very blessed for sure.
1: Let's get to some of your mission worker uh, can you tell us about Africa? What did you do there?
0: Yeah, that was actually kind of a, a brief, um, it was more of a visit. You know, we did some Bible studies and, and this and that. And uh, there was a, the church, uh, there was a Church Christ uh, preaching school in Arusha, Tanzania that Bear Valley had become affiliated with and pr- was providing curriculum to. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think at that time none of the Bear Valley elders had gone and visited the work. So, uh I uh, went with our preacher and, and some other folks uh, um, on that trip, and we were there about three weeks, and uh, got to meet a lot of neat people, got to see the work being done there, and of course, they always have planned into your trip that you get to go see the, the safari animals kind of stuff, which I guess you're going to fly halfway across the world, makes sense, but, yeah, uh, yeah. and so that was a good work, uh, and, and is a good work, to my knowledge, uh, uh, it, you know, that uh, think it was kensington woods it was a congregation a southern congregation that had established that work and uh and so yeah i was really uh felt fortunate to get to see that and how that worked i had never been out of the country and they say culture shock you know it's not a big deal no it's 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 different it's different yeah, yeah. you know i mean you, yeah you guys yeah And so, and then the other uh, thing that, uh, uh, and this wasn't really mission work, we just had to go take care of some business. Somebody over in the Ukraine had uh, donated a building, and it was a nice, really nice building, to uh, the church to use for the preaching school. And so uh, there were some issues there that had to be straightened out, so we got to go over there. I don't know if you remember, Terry Harmon was there at the time, and went over there with Mark Hanstein. And uh, you can imagine him and I and another guy our size, on a transatlantic flight, on a small airplane. <laughs> We're sitting there sideways, and he's shifting, shift the other. Oh, it's it terrible.
1: Were you all three in the same
2: row? All three on the oh, same no. row. It's like
0: bad enough that Mark, who's bigger than I am, is sitting in this row, you know, broader and taller than I am. And uh, this other guy that was every bit our size you know all three of us sitting in the same room we started laughing it's like you got to be kidding me. i don't know how long that flight was but it feels like i'm still on it you know <laughs> so but that was really neat to get to to see the uh the christians over there uh, in the ukraine and as i understand that uh a few years ago when some uh problems came up the ukrainian government came and seized the building threw everybody out of it i don't know what the resolution of that was i should but i i have not followed up on that so uh but that was really, as far as the mission work goes, that was the extent of anything out of the country, you know, yeah. so
1: what would you say is your biggest adversity in being an elder
0: um, for me personally or for elders in general, just for you uh, partly i i well I think the time thing depending on where that where you serve what where you are in your life, with your family and everything. That sometimes is a challenge because you're trying to balance a lot of things, and and uh, so I think that would probably be a, a, a challenge. I think uh, for and you've probably heard this before, but for uh, elders, and ministers, and preachers, staying edified, and, and I think I always enjoyed when we got to do an elders workshop or even the meetings we had. We would we would complain about how long they took, but it was good to get to. To be with guys, especially if you can edify each other, you know, spiritually. And so that, uh, you know, and, and then maturity, I think. You know, I would do a lot of things differently than I would have done several years back. Not that I was wrong then, but, I did. you know, maturity matters. You know, wisdom is, is you know, I, I do believe that wisdom doesn't just naturally happen because you age. But if you're trying to learn and apply what you learn, then you should hopefully grow wiser with age right so yep. mm, you know but it, i think that yeah everybody's you know if i knew then what i know now of course that's that's life but yeah uh, i think maturity is a you know important
1: yeah. and what about the like most gratifying thing from being an elder
0: gosh let's see uh it's always good that that's
1: a harder question to answer
0: yeah um the thing I enjoyed the most is when we got to go pray with somebody and be with somebody, Um, you know, because I I think it had gotten where people don't expect that as much. And truthfully, we probably didn't do that near to the extent that we should, but just being there in that moment where we're all turning to God and, and you can have a big part in that. And just, you know, you're always mindful as a, as a minister and elder uh, of your influence. Right. And so, you want to make sure that it's a, a very positive affirming influence you know so that they do connect with god and feel closer to god no i'm not the conduit for that but i can certainly help you know people in their growth and so i think those kinds of things uh, uh were really encouraging um i did end up baptizing a fellow that I was kind of close to and he passed away a few years after that and and so uh you know that it's, it's different when a Christian dies, you know, uh, and should be, I guess. And 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 so that I've always reflected on, you know, thanking God for that opportunity, you know, to to work with them. And, and so uh, I, I just think it's that kind of thing. It's mostly the one-on-one uh, stuff that you do uh, that, that feels the most gratifying. But again, if, if uh, elders and, and preachers and ministers can find ways to get with people of like occupation or disposition and they encourage one another. That always went a long way as well. Yeah. So
1: We just talked to a, a minister last week talking about how he uses his hobbies. And that's his an excuse to his wife that he needs more hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> to be able to take the, the gospel with him wherever he goes, whatever he does. And it's just one of those things. that you, It's not that you're going to a certain place to take his word, a certain place or a time to do something. You're taking it with you. Everywhere you go.
0: Yeah, that reminds me. You remind me of another guy I really admire. Uh, You remind me of another guy I admire. Um, Sounds like you're talking about him. It was a fellow named Marty Trujillo up north. And, man, this guy takes the gospel with him everywhere. And always upbeat. And just there's people that you go, man, I kind of wish I was like that. You know, he's one of those guys. I just love guys like that that are so full of of God's word and the joy of of living the Christian life that it just kind of comes out of
1: them. So much zeal.
0: Yeah, yeah, and just joy. You know, you can see it. It's really cool. A lot of us, we get so busy in our our livelihoods and, and everything else that we think is so urgent that we tend to push aside the things that matter.
2: Yep, yep. And, and ultimately, this, you know, ministers, elders, deacons, whatever you want to call them, it's, it's all about that relationship that you have with individuals. The The best parts of being an elder, from what I'm getting from you, is just having that personal connection with other Christians, other like-minded individuals. And it's, it's a blessing that we get to be a part of the Lord's Church where we all have that same singular focus of, let's serve God. Let's let's get through this life and all of its struggles and hardships and uh horrible plane flights you know that you have to be on with large individuals <laughs> yeah. you know whatever it is let's yeah. get through it uh, because we're we're serving god uh and that's the ultimate and that's the ultimate goal uh, and if you're you're surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded in that sense uh it's it's rewarding for you and it's also uh rewarding for those other people as well
0: huh? i think what god does if you let him to you know i was I was so shy and introverted when I was, even when I got married that I, you know, it just was really like you know, two words and that's it. And I remember the first time I had to say a prayer, I wrote the whole thing down. It was probably only about a paragraph, but I mean, my knees were knocking and everything up and I got to the point where, you know, I could, I could converse and hopefully, you know, think on my feet a little bit, uh, you know, in doing that. And I would have never done that, you know, and, and, and then talking about uh, working with people, I, uh, one of these people you would probably say is not a people person. I'm not a, you know, just real gregarious life of the party kind of guy, more uh, introverted. That caused me to realize how much I value that connection. I'll tell you another thing that did was the COVID thing. When you couldn't be around people, I always thought, well, you know, I don't like crowds. It's, you know, always felt that way. Not anymore, man. Give me a crowd. You know, (laughs) seriously. I missed it. It was an eye opener for me. I mean, you take the positives out of whatever situation you can. And for me, that was a real eye opener how much I really wanted to be around people and really how much I had taken it for granted because it was always, you could always be around people before. And now it's like, wow, this is really bad. I remember when we were driving uh, and there were no cars on the road. And everyone was talking about how great it was, you know, because we were still, we were essential business, we were still working. Yeah, first couple of days, it was great. You could get there in a lot less time. By the end of the week, I was kind of angry. It's like, I want the cars back. This, yeah. isn't, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> it's like I'm in some bad sci-fi like movie or something, yeah. you know. And, and so that kind of taught me a lot about, you know, my attitude toward, you know, just being around people. God, and, and really make you think about God loves everybody. He loves these people individually. As a, you know, he, he loves people. And if he loves people, then and he's told me to love people then I, that's probably what I need to do. And didn't realize that my, you know, uh, I don't know if introversion is a word, but you know, uh, was, was impacting that the way that it was, you know? So, uh, it's been a, a learning experience, you know, and, and, uh, which is good. I always wonder, though. You know, you keep learning, learning, learning. And it's like, yeah, but then you're going to die. But, um, you know. Um, that's it. But they so asked, asked me one time. Uh, I remember I was at a Bible study. You remember Don Cantor? Was yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, I love Don. Anyway, we were at a Bible study one time. Yeah, yeah. He was great. And so uh, uh, we were talking about, uh, what's your favorite book? And I said, oh, I think Ecclesiastes. And he said, oh, man, that's so depressing. <laughs> and I said. Why, why is that depressing? He says, well, cause it's pointless. I said, dude, I already knew that. It's just good to see that God knows <laughs> the same thing I know. It's like, yeah, you're going to build it all. And then it, you're going to die, Yeah, you know? And just to see, to me, it was, i probably kind of twisted or something, but I read that like, he understands God knows he understands, you know? And that's what, that's what, that really hit me.
2: Yeah.
0: I still love that book, yeah. you know, and it's all vanity and it's terrible. And you, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Okay. Yeah. I see it. I see it. And then we get to go to heaven. Yeah. You know, and be with God. Yeah. It, and then the meaning of life. You know, being what verse chapter twelve, like verse thirteen, fear God and fear obey God. His, commandments, and His commandments. For commandments. this is the whole duty of man. It's like you want to know the meaning of life. Here it is. It's right yeah. here. It's pretty simple. Not easy, but simple.
2: Yeah it, yeah. it it it's it's comforting in that book, especially comforting to know that it's like I don't have to be at some enlightened state of mind to have an understanding. It's like God understands where I am, where I am. Yeah. And. No matter what, and really, like you're saying, the whole goal: fear God, keep His commandments. In the end of it all, that's that's it, because everything else is vanity, vanity, vanity. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful book. Yeah, it, depressing, but
0: <laughs> but not at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Well, because I already kind of knew that. Yeah. Like, what's the point? You know, it's all going to go away. It's like, no, there is a point. There's a know? point. And God put you on this uh, earth to you know to live for Him, to live joyfully. I mean, I, I believe God wants us to enjoy our lives, but I think in Him is where you know, where we're going to enjoy our lives most. And having come from, you know, background where I was not in the church, uh, you know, recognizing and living a worldly life for for a number of years uh, uh, when I was younger is just, I can contrast that, you know, pretty easily. Sometimes I feel, I don't say feel sorry for them, but it kind of for people that were raised in the church just because they wonder about stuff that I don't have to wonder about. But I can tell them it's bad. (laughs) You know, doing these things is bad. All my friends that did it, it was bad. You know, and the people that, that followed the Lord, man, you look at them and they're in their 80s. A lot of them are just, you know, as long as the Lord uh, gives them breath, you know, they're happy, they're working. There's such a difference, you know. And and having been on that, seeing that, not growing up in the church, uh, I don't want to say it's an advantage because then that sounds like, well, oh, people need to go out and do this. No, they don't need to go out and do those things. But I can tell you, I've been there, and uh, God's love is real, and it manifests itself in your life if you let it.
2: Well, uh, we always try to ask our, our guests on our podcast here, we, our, our, our theme for the, the podcast, our verse, our mission statement, whatever you want to call it, is out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where uh, Paul charges Timothy, hey, you need to find some faithful men who are able to teach others also to continue this process, to establish uh, his church, and to grow. Uh, what advice would you give to us, those in a, a younger generation, to find that passion, find that desire wanting to serve and then how do we how do we pass that on to the next generation and, and keep that passion and desire going to want to be a serve as a deacon or an elder or in the in the ministry or go on these mission trips or or whatever it is to serve God what what advice would you give us
0: You know you uh, had we talked about that just briefly before so I've had a chance to think about it and I still don't have a definitive answer but you know I do have a few thoughts on it uh, and and I'm sorry for the the shameless plug because I didn't intend to do this, but uh, my, my son Jack is a writer and works for Focus Press, and he wrote a book called uh, Church Reset, and uh, I, I think very eye-opening about uh, uh, you know God's plan for the church, and I think that one way that we can look to pass this on to the next generation, or you guys receive the baton from the the older generation, is to become that church family where we don't have these distinctions. One of the things we noticed um, with uh, uh, public school kids, not, don't take anything away from this other than they tended to stay in a strata, you know, sixth graders talk to sixth graders, maybe the occasional seventh grader, maybe fifth grader, but they stayed in there, and then we would have, I see in there, we'd have the seniors group, we'd have the singles group, we'd have the adolescents group. In and of themselves, maybe not a problem, but if we're the whole church, the whole family where older people feel like they need to contribute because I get frustrated too with some of the older folks like you got so much wisdom at the same time I see that they feel as though they've been marginalized and in some cases they have or what they think isn't important to a generation that's going so fast and can google everything there's some validity to that for sure but we have an obligation to keep trying just as we were talking about earlier about uh, you know, the younger generation wanting to move up and, and the older generation kind of sometimes feels like they're they're just moving slow or, or, or not getting in the way. That's, that's not it. We're working together with people. If you get to know that older person, you're going to have a better relationship, and you're going to grow more from them. If you start looking at your kids as somebody, you know, there's the idea of multi-generational faithfulness, right? And so you look at your kids as you you hope and that you're, it's your objective and God's objective that they grow up to be faithful. They should look to you. They should look to Don. They should look to, you know, uh, they should look to their grandparents and people that can help them if we're a strong enough family in the church but the older folks i think do need yeah, i'm sure you've heard this story before i think uh because votie bacham was talking about a young guy he, he gives the story about guy decides he wants to be a bricklayer and so uh uh you know he's trying to figure out everything he can about bricks he's committed to being a bricklayer and so he knows there's a guy in the church he's been uh you know bricklaying his whole life 40 years you know and and so he, uh, he goes up to him and says, man, I'm a, I'm a new bricklayer. I'm just trying to learn. He says, I know you've been doing this your whole life, and I'd like to just be able to, to follow you around, see what you know. The guy says, well, I don't know nothing about no bricks. You know, he says, I can't help you, man. I, you know, you have to talk to the master bricklayer. Yeah. So we do the same thing in the church. The guy's been in the church 30, 40 years, doesn't look to mentor or shepherd. And, again, I get it sometimes when you've not been looked at to do that, but it's our obligation as Christians to be open to that. Scripture says God puts these good works in our path that we might walk in them. And so we got to walk in them. It's not, well, you know, last five times I tried to offer advice. I got pushed. Yeah, that's probably true. What's What's the example from Scripture? Do we stop? You know, same thing with young people. Well, you know, I tried to... You know, tried to get into that discussion, and it just you know wasn't treated with the kind of respect. And scripture addresses that. You know, treating uh, young people that are you know uh, committed to the Lord with disrespect, and what a what a problem that is. But we see that when you keep trying, you know, because it's by your example that people are going to go. No, this person really means it. They're really committed. That's hard sometimes. We all have feelings, you know, and and this is our lives. But I think. To, to pass that along, I think we need to become a, a, a stronger church family and really, really, as you mentioned, we were talking about earlier, getting into each other's lives, right? To where and you mentioned knowing people for many, many years and not really knowing much about them, we can, we can develop stronger relationships. I think that's, uh, you know, one of the, the big thrusts of, of Jack's book is uh, the church family and building that as it was in the New Testament, The encouragement and support that they were for each other enabled them to go spread the gospel. It's a different culture. There's a lot of things that are different, but I think some things fundamentally don't change in human beings. I just think because of the fast pace, I'm as guilty or more than most of just, I got time, don't have time, I'm busy, next week, maybe I can, I'll get you on the calendar, that kind of stuff we need the you know, scripture says be still and know that i am god do you realize how foreign a concept that is for us these days be still be still <laughs> i was reading something the other day and this was great the the, the youtube thing was uh, why you will marry the wrong person i thought oh, okay i got to see this yeah <laughs> and so i clicked on the guy was great the guy was great he says because they're a human being and they're flawed and you're a human being and you're flawed and then the other guy writes in the comments after he says yeah story about an old guy that uh, he's ninety years old. He's on his deathbed. Never been married. Never had kids. Anything. So they ask him, "What's your, you know, what's your biggest regret in life?" He says, "Well, that I never got married." He said, "Really? You wanted to get married?" He said, oh, yeah. So well, why, why didn't you? said, well, I was always looking for the perfect one. And she says, uh, and he says, uh, "Oh, so I, I guess you never did find the perfect one." He says, "Oh, I did." And he said, well, why didn't you get married? He says, well, because she was looking for the perfect one,
2: you know? <laughs> yeah. And
0: so it's kind of, you know, you're going to marry a human being. And part of it, though, really tied in with Scripture. You're to love and support this person. I'm sorry if they don't look the same 20, 30 years down the road. I'm sorry if they, that you got issues between you that you have to work out. That's part of the beauty of marriage is that forgiveness, that love, that finding ways to help and encourage one another. We do that. That's what marriage is, right? Not... Well, you're not what I uh, what I thought you were when I married you. So on to the next. That's that. God hates divorce, and I can see why. Well, you know,
1: we were talking actually on the way up here in the vehicle that we're trying to prepare our children now. They're young; they're ten, nine, seven. Yep. Trying to get them ready to instill the values that we want them to look for. Because I look back at when I got married, twelve years ago. <laughs> make sure I get that right. <laughs> twelve years ago. I am not the same person I was when I got married to my wife. She's not the same person, but we chose and we committed to each other in the beginning to grow together. That's right. We had the same foundation. It's almost the same for the church. We have to commit to grow together, not apart from each other. If we have differences, we have disagreements. Those are going to happen. We're human. Yeah. We're family. Yeah. We have to choose (laughs) to have the hard conversations to iron it out and to grow together. Otherwise, you're just going to be a church shopper, which is in Jack's book.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then that causes you to think about, all right, what is my motivation? You ever wonder about that? You do something, you go, what, is, what really is my motivation here? Because I wonder about other people's motivation. I wonder why they're doing this. I wonder why they're doing that. I got to wonder that about myself. You know, if I'm unhappy about this, okay, what is my motivation? Sometimes you look at it and you go, yeah, that's not too good, man. Maybe I ought to rethink this. Correction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can find ourselves just kind of going along and just doing the cursory glance to kind of check course and see how we're doing without really realizing we're going nowhere, you know. And that really was an eye-opener to me. And uh, subsequently, we, we uh, came and changed a lot of things around. There was a, a big improvement to us in an area we didn't really realize. And so it's the same thing in life, you know, the best thing you can do, talk about being humble, you at least got to recognize your capacity for uh, for um, making a mistake, you know, we're all going to make mistakes, I mean, you do enough, you're going to make a mistake, and so if we uh, if we recognize that, then I think we're open to encouragement, to correction, if necessary, that's the thing we got to learn how to do in the church too, is to offer correction in a, in a in a meaningful way that still means what it says, but also embraces the fact that this is because I love you and we're trying to help. You know, it's really difficult because it's not a cultural thing for us. But but again, that gets more. uh, You get closer to addressing that when you become a stronger church family. So I think that's where it all starts.
1: You talk about growth, and one of the things that has recently just, like a two-by-four hit me in the face, is the only person I need to compare myself to is myself. And Mm -hmm. it's not myself right now, it's myself last year. Yeah. Am I growing? Am I seeking? Am I trying to be better? And if I find myself in that stagnant pool, well, I need to change something.
0: Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and you won't know that if you're, I mean, we shouldn't be navel gazers, you know what I mean? Just constantly, you know, introspection to a fault. But we've got to kind of see where we're at. You know, if you're expecting, notice this in business, I'd have expectations of people, but I didn't have the ex- any expectations of myself. It's like, well, that's not right. They had expectations of me, and, and, and so, and, you know, that's, we've got to be able to, to recognize where it takes, where the opportunities are to growth, and if you don't think you need to grow, then you probably will miss on those opportunities, but in growth, you know, you hear these expressions, different things that stick with you, and I heard one several years ago that uh, really kind of resonated with me, and it says, how you live your days is how you live your life. And so you know, we all think about this life that we're going to accomplish. We're going to do that, yeah. But what'd you do today? What'd you do yesterday? That's who you are. I mean, that's really who you are. And so, uh, uh, not who this person that you think you're going to be, good or bad. It's the things you do right now, the things you do today, help define your life, and uh, you know, and and who you are going to be to others and to God. You know. So that being the case, you know, you read the scripture it says you read the scripture that says, uh, uh, you know, that God is in Ephesians, God puts uh, good works in your path that you might walk in them. I take him serious. Right. That means he must be putting them there. If I'm not seeing them, I'm not looking for them, mm-hmm. you know, and if I'm seeing them and ignoring them, that's a problem too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think that, uh, God gives us plenty of opportunities for growth and for service and, and the things we do for him benefit us more than anything. Anybody else gets benefited. You, you, have you noticed that mm-hmm. when you reach out and you do for other people, man, what you get out of it seems like it's more.
2: Yeah. And we were talking with, uh, uh, Wayne Berger a few weeks ago and, uh, these short term missions that he's been on and the, the fact that you go on these short term missions and you may do some work for some congregation in Africa, or I, I went with, uh, your daughter, Rachel to uh, Vanuatu right. uh, and spent some time over there with her. And we did random things, you know, helped them build some building and, you know, just kind of was there uh, as, a, as a youth. But it's like they may not have gotten a whole lot out of that, the, the natives in the area. But, but I got so much out of just going to these places and, and seeing the way that they are and, and serving God in that way the the benefit is is far outreaching the the, the physical work that i did yeah. uh, it's the spiritual growth that i uh, got from doing these types of works and it's again these short term missions are uh more designed for the individual going on the mission yeah, than they are right. for the 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 people that you're going there to serve not that you're n- not helping or anything like that but it's there's that benefit there that you get and it's 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 from god and it's that re- resetting reopening your eyes re Readjusting, maybe getting out of your comfort zone or your bubble or whatever it is, to kind of refocus you on, okay, this is this is really real. It's not all this other nonsense that I've been focusing on, but this is spiritual growth. This is the direction I need to be going in yeah. for sure.
0: I think you're absolutely right because you know, thinking about it as you're saying that, I did come away. I I don't want to be dramatic, but I did come away changed to some degree. You know. And so, yeah, you're right. I think there's a big benefit to the people that go on the trip, not just that you built something or or preached, which is good, because that was kind of fun, too. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I walked away different.
1: Thank you, Mr. Wilkie, for joining us today.
0: Hey, thanks, you guys. And I was just going to say, if none of this is any good, don't feel like you'll hurt my feelings. I mean, (laughs) it's not podcast-worthy, guys. Oh, no, it definitely (laughs) is.
1: Do you have any closing thoughts?
0: Um. You know, actually, uh, just to, to say that I appreciate what you guys are doing. When, I, when you mentioned what you were doing, that was really encouraging. I see what, uh, you know, of course, my, my son and my boy, both boys and the son-in-law and other people are doing, and they're really, really looking to serve God in ways that really will make a big difference and, and, and really address some things that are uh, the church really has to address. And that's a big encouragement, so I want to thank you guys because what you're doing is an encouragement to me. And uh, I hope the Lord blesses your work and, and makes it all that it can be, you know, to help uh, grow the kingdom and, and to just in, be an encouragement to, to people in ministry for sure.
1: Yeah, it's been encouraging to me to talk to you today, to hear your story and to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you guys. Kevin, yep. and Alex, thank you very much. Thank you.